Africans. I'm Erica, an editor at Hood Communist. I want to welcome you to Hood Communist Political Education. Twice a month, editors of the blog get together on our Telegram channel and hold discussions based on articles we've published or current events with our readers and subscribers. Because Hood Communist encourages mass organizing and political education, we've decided to share these recorded sessions with you and anybody trying to listen. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you learn something. And I hope that what you learn encourages you to join an organization fighting for the liberation of our people. With all that said, let's get into it. All right, so we're going to go ahead and rock out, y'all. Um, I want to thank everybody who uh, pulled up this evening or this afternoon, depending on whatever time zone you're in. Um, I'm Mac. Uh, I'm an editor with Hood Communist, also a member of the Low Country Action Committee um, and the Black Alliance for Peace. Um, and I want to welcome you guys to another one of our Telegram chats. Um, very excited that you all are here. I believe also here from Hood Communist, we have Erica and Onye. Um, I also see some folks in the chat uh, that look familiar. UPPs in the building. What's up, y'all? Um, so yeah, uh, Erica, Onye, do y'all want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, um, I'm Erica or uh, Ricky, and I am a Central Committee member of. Uh, Excuse me, I'm a coordinating committee member of Black Lions for Peace. I am also um, a member of UPP, Ujima People's Progress Party here in Maryland. And uh, yeah. And I am Onye Sanu. I am an organizer with the All African People's Revolutionary Party and the All African Women's Revolutionary Union. I'm on the National Coordinating Committee of the Ventanamas Brigade, which is a solidarity organization with Cuba. And I am an editor with the Communist Hail. All right, thanks y'all. Um, and so uh, that's us, that's the Communist, that's who all is in here. But like I said, we're very excited that y'all pulled up to have this conversation with us. And um, we got some questions that we, we're gonna ask today, some topics that we're gonna talk about, but just wanna remind y'all that this is like an open forum. If you've been here before, you know, just raise your hand if you have a question that you wanna ask, or if you have anything that you wanna add to the conversation and we'll let you jump in. Um, so what are, what are we here talking about today? Um, we are talking about identity and culture, specifically as African people inside of the United States. And so a few different things, a few different questions kind of um, that we were talking about and discussing internally kind of inspired this whole thing. Like we were asking ourselves, you know, what is culture? What is quote unquote black culture, you know, like what does it mean to like align ourselves with America, just like even in name and like what control do Africans in America really even have over determining what are our cultural products and like what aren't they? Um, and so to get into this conversation, um, I felt like a cool, not a cool thing, but a very obvious thing that, you know, Hood Communist does all the time, but I don't think we get a chance to explain is that basically everybody at Hood Communist identifies as an African 
even though I don't think any of us, and let me know, Erica, Ricky Onye, if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of us were actually physically born um, in an African country. So do any of the editors want to talk about like kind of how you, so do any of the editors want to talk about how you arrived at that place or at that position? Yeah, I can start. Um, so it's a fairly new position, I want to say, um, to identify myself as African. Um, even though I was not born on the continent, but I also feel like it's a very political identity to have um, because it drives my understanding of where my liberation lies, where my freedom lies, and how to move forward towards it. So once I started to um, expand my ideology um, to address Pan-Africanism, uh, it became clearer to me that I am African and why it was important that I needed to state that unequivocally. For me, it was also a journey. I, like many African people in the United States, understood always that I am not American, that we are not accepted as American, um, regardless of what people refer to us as. But um, coming down to my stand myself to, as an African was definitely like part and parcel of my political awakening, part and parcel of understanding my people as like a globally connected people um, across the diaspora and the continent with like a shared history of struggle and a shared like roots in the shared culture and a shared destiny. Um, but it was certainly like it went hand in hand with like fully understanding our destiny as a people is not tied to the United States, but tied to Africa. It went hand in hand with understanding that like the liberation of Africa is the only way that we're gonna see liberation as a people. And also it went hand in hand with understanding that like the struggle for the liberation of our people is is not one that started like, you know, with Black Lives Matter. It didn't start with the Black Power Movement. It didn't start with the UNIA. It started like hundreds of years ago when the very first European set foot on the shores of Africa with the intent to colonize and steal and kill. Um, and we've been fighting ever since, and we've been fighting as an African people. And so once I understood that continuum of history and my place within it, um, it was very, very clear to me that that's who we were. Thanks, y'all. Um, are there any people? Lord, my dad will not stop calling me. Um, are there any people in the audience um, that have come to like a similar place in their journey, or are there people who are kind of struggling with that idea that you know would want to speak on it no pressure i just want to open up that opportunity go ahead big teal the floor is yours hi everyone um, i'm really excited to be with you all uh today and i want about like um my experience with with African identity, like very similar to Ricky, it's also very recent for me as well to identify as African. Something even before that I struggled with, but I would say I, would, I, would, I struggled a lot with blackness. I guess whether it's trying to understand what it is, its political history, and what it meant for me 
like a Jamaican immigrant trying to understand racial politics in the United States. And oftentimes I felt like I was denied access to my Africanness, if that makes sense. Like somehow, like I couldn't, I felt like I, I was discouraged from being African. And I'm, I'm thinking I might have to do something with like maybe in Jamaica, my family had a more nationalist understanding of like, hey, we're all here from different countries on this island. So we're going to just be in the matter like if we're from China or Syria or or what have you. And I felt like when I decided to claim my Africanness, I realized I was well, actually. It was not what I was told, I don't know, by either school or mainstream media, like other Africans like me, right? <laughs> Glad that I'm claiming my Africanness. And I felt like there's such like a solidarity that doesn't rely on the importance of whether you're from Chad or Germany. And I feel like it breaks down like these like colonial nationalities. And I could say more, but I'll just stop here. Thank you for listening. I really um, resonate with what Big Teal was saying because there's always been like, I always identified as black. I didn't really outwardly say African until recently. Um, but I always noticed there was a lot of disunity between my family because uh, my father's side of the family, they're all Jamaican immigrants, but my mom's side of the family, they're just black Americans. So I feel like, like that African unity thing, like I never really had it. Like I always understood that we were black, but I never understood like, the, the full-on diaspora because um what what big two was saying about like that nationalist perspective like of course if you would ask my father's family what are you they would be like we're black but they would more so just rep their uh jamaican ethnicity rather than just repping their blackness or africanness as a whole so like i saw a lot of discord growing up between like the different you know the different variations that african comes in so i feel like like what everyone's been saying, like more people just need to identify with their Africanness rather than their ethnicity or the landmass that they come from. But I can understand why they do that because they, they've been conditioned to more so identify with where they were born. But it's always been a bit difficult um, to just identify as African because it just feels like, you know, people are more so focused on the different variations that it comes in rather than just what it is as a whole. Totally, totally. I agree. Um, does anybody else want to add anything? I just want to make sure um, I'm not missing any hands that went up. I don't think so. Okay, so yeah, something that was very helpful for me um, in coming to understand I, uh, and uh, coming to understand myself as an African person or coming into an African identity, I think was learning to like observe and understand the world from like a materialist perspective right so i am a dis i'm a descendant of people who were stolen from africa and brought to a foreign land that wasn't called america 
So like doing the math, just trying to add up one plus one, I'm like, how then do I become an American? And I think uh, Ajamu's not here, but Ajamu Umi is another editor at Hood Communist. Um, he's written about this and Hood Communist shared this recently on Juneteenth. And I just wanna read a little bit of something that Ajamu wrote um, in his, in his uh, manifesto, um, A Guide for Organizing Defense Against White Supremacist, Patriarchal, and Fascist Violence. Um, I'm going to read a short bit of that. So what something important that Ajamu says is that it's essential that a political education focus is in, so focus is institutionalized that is designed to destroy the myth of white supremacy while simultaneously killing the concept of being an quote unquote American for every person who claims to be an American, whether African, European, or whomever, every time people use that title to define themselves, they consciously or unconsciously justify the theft of this land. Because if you are an American, that means that this is your land, which undermines the truth that it isn't your land, it's the indigenous people's land. And so in what uh, what part of that help he he does go on to say a lot of, of great stuff, but it's quite a lot. So I'm not going to read all of it. But what that kind of did help me understand is that this idea of American as like an identity in a lot of ways, it creates this buffer between what is real and what is not. There is land that belongs to people who want it back. That land was named American, but it doesn't matter if you like build a bunch of shiny buildings and like create an economy and like establish a government. You can call yourself whatever you want. It's like still theirs, right? And so because African people, um, because African people, our journey toward evolution and self-determination as a people has been interrupted, um, we don't, that doesn't mean that we just have to attach ourselves to, um, you know, the values and things that, uh, our oppressor assigns to us. Like we still are on our path to self-determination. Um, and so that was very empowering for me to understand in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I unite with that um, sentiment, um, primarily because I feel like America's a project, right? And I think that that's not discussed enough. I think that Jared Horn does great work around this uh, with his uh, series on um, the American Revolution and um, settler colonialism as a whole. And, and what it does is, is not only um, break apart the myth or shatter the myth of, of America, you know, or, or the revolution itself, um, but it does connect us I feel like um uh, so if you you mean you have had these conversations when reading the book with my book club where uh we discuss um the connections between Barbados and South Carolina and how seamless that was and so it's very and the back and forth that went on from the Caribbean to uh North America um between um, you know during slavery uh because of all these eternal petty bourgeois European um wars and battles and, and issues that they were having. 
um, that was causing them to move slaves back and forth. So the whole idea that anyone could be like innately tied to this land um, as an African just sort of um, is ahistorical, but it's just, you know, and I think that it, it gives into this falsehood of identity and it just further cements us um, to an assimilation project um, because I think all of America as a project is an assimilation project, just more assimilation into settler colonialism. Thank you, Ricky. Does anybody want, um, does anybody have anything that they want to add? Um, or is there anybody in the audience feeling like, I feel like y'all on some bullshit. I, I, I'm an American, <laughs> you know, if, if you, if, if you guys have thoughts, you can, you can speak up. Oh. UPP, oh, go for it. Oh. Hey, comrades. Hey, comrades. Um, peace, everyone. Um, I think it's probably damaging, if not damning, to one's consciousness and spiritual development to accept Americanism or any kind of way that you are an American. Because I've I've grown to believe, you know, in my own way that. I'm just an African that happened to be in America. So I just remember the time I was speaking to a census group and they were asking, who do I want to identify as? I said, just African. They said, well, you know, why not? They said, well, just African. I said, yeah, because I just happened to be an African person, an African, you know, person in America. Don't, don't hyphenate, don't do that. Don't anything for that matter. But my point in saying all this is that culturally and having that understanding is that a person can be totally detached from the realities and materialism of America because there's the understanding that for every moment that you enjoy or that you would attempt to enjoy, the stolen fruits and the labors of materialism built in America is also the second minutes and hours, days and weeks of someone else suffering behind the fleeting moments that you have of being happy to say you are American. And I don't want that persecution on my soul or to stain my spirit at all. So I believe deeply I'm an African person just in America. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, people Rebecca, in you can go ahead. Wait, uh, you want to speak first? I didn't tell people could hear me. Um, I want to say that people in the United States try to have it both ways. Even African people, unfortunately, they think that they, they can claim the identity of American and also be in solidarity with indigenous people or African people or colonized people around the world. They think they can claim the identity of American and, you know, be in solidarity or be a part of movements for justice. But the reality of the situation is that the identity of American cannot be separated from white supremacy, from genocide, from slavery, from, from settler colonialism, from imperialism. Like, that's how it was born. That's why it's even a thing like that when you claim American, you're claiming all of that, whether you agree with it or not. When you say you're American, you're justifying the fact that European colonists just came over here and committed genocide against indigenous people, destroyed their civilizations, took their land and then enslaved their ancestors on it. Like that's how American came to be. You cannot separate that history from that identity. And so as people whose ancestors you know, we're exploited, we're dehumanized, we're like bought and sold by cattle so this place could live. 
it makes no sense whatsoever for us to associate ourselves with that national identity. It makes no sense at all. Like American identity, like Ajama says all the time, equals white supremacy, period. It doesn't matter what you add to it. It doesn't matter how you personally conceptualize it. That is the reality of the situation. I don't only Rebecca, I think you had your hand up. I'm sorry I cut you off yeah. earlier, only. I didn't no, realize okay. that you were speaking, but go ahead. No problem. Excuse the background uh, noise. <laughs> um, so I wanted to, for people that tend to, you know, try to dissociate themselves from, you know, the what America is, the founding of America, so-called America, you know, um, and to Erica's point about the, you know, how a, a historical, you know, the American identity is, is if you look at the um, the full stars, you know, the stars, what is it? The star spangled banner, right? <laughs> they talk about what America is and, you know, what they do is they cut off, they, they sing the first part of it, right? During sports games and those, those type of activities. But if you if you read the full um, um, song, you'll 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 see exactly what America is about, and and then also this this pledge of allegiance, which is is very fascist fascist. <laughs> if you if you just read, if you, I mean, I'm sure all of us have you know heard of it, read it at least once, and, and the fact that there's not a lot of countries that have a pledge of allegiance, right? Um, like America does, and it's it's just a very sick how how embedded it is in this uh, settler colonial state. You know, try to remind people to you know basically pledge allegiance. There's no dissent. There's no thinking. You know, differently from what the state is telling you to do. So people, you know, people that have trouble with that, they you know, if you just look, you're. You, it's just so very clear, um, like what America is about, and you know, and why you shouldn't identify with the American um, culture. Right on, Rebecca. Um, every and everything that y'all were saying, y'all also reminding me of, about how identifying as an African is also a huge source of pride for me because I also I also take it as like a challenge. I think about it as something that I have to live up to, right? In the sense that if I understand I am descended from African, from people who were stolen from the shores of Africa and brought to a foreign land, I think something that I find very um, sinister about the way we've been renamed throughout the years from, you know, niggas to Negroes to coloreds to black or whether we decided to determine the, to pick those names for ourselves or not is that we kind of in some ways dishonor the African people who were brought here and had no interest in like integrating into the society. I just find it very distasteful to dishonor our ancestors who literally just wanted to go back. <laughs> like they just wanted to go back to their lives, to their ways of being, their cultures, their foods, their spiritual traditions. And so when I wake up every morning and I remind myself that I am African, Erica said this earlier, it's a political decision. I think about it as like my marching orders. This is how, this is how I carry myself throughout the world. I understand who I am and why I am here. And if I can remind myself of that every day, that is a challenge. 
and a reminder that I'm not here to assimilate into this shit. I'm not here to do a pledge to a flag. I'm not here to sing any Star Spangled Banner. I'm not here to become an entrepreneur and, and invest in crypto and uh, eventually, you know, become a billionaire and, and, and show the kids that I can do it too. I'm here to end this. <laughs> There's no way out of this. Um, as an African person born in America, I understand I have a very specific role. I have a very specific duty to that to the diaspora. I'm working from the inside to end this, and I think that is a big part of what that identity, um, leaning into that identity, does for me. Also, to your point about the transition of the naming, right, um, and even how much of it did we have how much of a say did we have in the names um i i think we spoke about this before when we talked about um the transition from like african-american to black american um all of these things are political um and i think kwame Ture actually i think that's what what sparked our conversation about it i think kwame Ture was um the person that uh, I think in a clip that we were talking about that had said that um, just pointed that out distinctly that we're doing everything but calling ourselves African um, and it's just like maybe important to to understand why for sure does anybody have any thoughts about that like you know because that is that that is a question that I have. Why is it so polarizing for Africans in America to call ourselves African? Like to 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 Ricky's point, even the people who try to do the African American thing, I be feeling like they be doing it like this: African American. Like why are you whispering the African and yelling the American? What do y'all think about that? I was going to say, like, I feel like what they're trying to do is essentially sanitize what American means. Like, they're trying to make it look like, you know, because we live in, like, a time now where, like, we can understand, like, the way the country was created and the way things went down is, like, objectively wrong. But, like, what they're trying to do now is just, like, sanitize it and make it look like, you know, America was a, is a melting pot. It's inclusive. Everyone has their rights. And, and like, you know, stupid bullshit like that. And to what Rebecca was saying earlier about um, the Pledge of Allegiance, I don't know if any of you saw this, but there was a video, I think it was in Texas and it was in a grocery store and like the, uh, the national anthem came on and like everyone in the grocery store immediately put their hand on, over their heart and started reciting the pledge. And people were talking about how hypocritical America is in the sense that like, you know, like if that was a different country, if that was if that was China or if that was anywhere else, people would talk about how fascist and indoctrinated and brainwashed people are. But America is the only country where like people not the only country, but it's one of the countries where people are constantly screaming about uh, proving they're patriotic, like so bad. And it's like like I was just saying, it's a way to sanitize the culture of America and what it really is. But also um, to what Mac was just saying, I do feel like with African-American, it definitely is a term that like American is like the dominating thing. And African is, is almost like a whisper, like the way people are just trying to make like American the say all be all. And I just feel like that just is really disrespectful and distasteful to like what America actually is. 
And I also think it's important to like note that this is not like in any way like a slight to Africans in the US. It is to say that like the nationalism, I suppose, that exists outside of the US is of a different nature, primarily because the US is an empire. And I think the 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 lack of recognition of just that convolutes the discussion about how we even uh, relate to other nations um, or how other nations even relate to us. And I think that that um, not being able to understand America's role, that America has the entire world divided in military um, commands, you know, um, that America still colonizes nations. Um, just not being able to understand just that um, it's, it causes a lot of the confusion um, because because there is a lot of antagonisms uh, that exist across the diaspora, um, but there's no real discussion about the root cause and why and you know and what sparks these antagonisms and primarily America's role, like <laughs> what America does. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. Everything, everything that y'all just said. And um, I had a, I had a thought that I wanted to add to this part of the conversation in terms of identity as well, is if we're talking about material analysis and like understanding of where we are and what our conditions are, it's also not only is it distasteful <laughs> to to identify as Americans, but it's also not true. Right. For the vast majority of us, um, you know, if we're if we're talking about an analysis of colonialism, and and what that looks like internally, what colonialism looks like inside of the empire, many of us come from colonized neighborhoods and colonized, um, you know, blocks. We are colonized people. So, um, it was some I heard somebody say this recently, and I totally agree. You can't be the whipped and the whipper. You understand what I'm saying? Like you you gotta pick. And we know who the Americans are. We know who those people are who enjoy the full rights of citizenship. But what I do find interesting is that a lot of our people are doing our best song and dance to convince ourselves that we've been let into the American project. Even though every summer we're in the streets protesting for our fucking lives. You know what I mean? Even though we live in communities that are affected by lead poisoning and we, we don't have clean water and our schools are shit and we live in in the middle of like food apartheid and all these different things, we are fighting our hardest to convince ourselves that we've been led into the American project. And so I always find that people need a reminder that like, you want to be an American, you're not. <laughs> Does anybody else have any thoughts about um, identity before I move in to start talking about culture a little bit? Because Miriam, Miriam said some things that I, I would like to address there as well. Okay, cool. Um, so the reason why we wanted to talk about culture a little bit in this conversation is kind of twofold. The first um, of it, sort of sparked around the controversy that surrounded Shikari Richardson 
um, we were in, we were observing some interesting ways, uh, Ricky primarily early on, in which Shikari was being used um, as this like example of America's black culture. Um, and I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts about how this idea of like black culture is often used uh, or manipulated into America's benefit. Well, I just want to say that I'm suspicious of the Olympics anyway. Um, <laughs> I think that the Olympics is like a innately a racist project. So it always, I mean, not just to see, um, not just to see how people are reacting to this year, but, or even, you know, uh, Africans in the U.S. attending the Olympics, but just Africans anywhere <laughs> playing the Olympics, um, considering the displacement that it causes from every city that it touched down. And you know that Africans are the ones who get it the worst. If we think back to Atlanta, LA, Brazil. Um, but when I seen her win, I think that we are in a very interesting time of American exceptionalism and um, inclusivity with Africans in the US. Uh, we're seeing it play out through the battles of critical race theory, we're seeing it play out um, with the 1619. So it's a very interesting moment uh, where I feel like Africans in the US are literally fighting for their lives to be seen or included in the American project um, because they're they're being pushed out completely or shut out. Um, and then, you know, the conditions that Mac named, which is like, you know, SOS the hood for real, because <laughs> because it's really suffering in the hood and there's no there's no call for action um, outside of us. But I think that what I was observing is just like how quickly people were willing to absorb that or see themselves in that. Like they were memeing Shikari with the flag in the background and, you know, all the American colors. And I guess on a surface level, you you can think that like, okay, yeah, it's not really about America per se. It's really about her and her achievements and what it means for African women in the U.S. to see another African woman who, you know, we just went through that whole bonnet shit with Monique. You know, she's not, she's like one of us. She's, you know, she's from the block and she's made it this far. But then I'm thinking, you know, that all puts me back to the whole notion of Black excellence and how Black excellence is basically in a similar project, you know? It's not like, oh, we're, you know, this is innately us because we're Africans and Africans are just like, you know, the shit. It's like, look at us and look what we can do despite what America puts us through. And I think that that framing is always how we attach ourselves to a lot of a lot of these figures like Shikari. Uh, the floor the floor is open for anybody who wants to respond to that or has ideas that you know are in that arena. Hi. Um, at first, I was very confused this question about Shikari being seen as like the example of um, America. Cause I, I guess I, I guess I to some extent see 
in which she's been kind of stigmatized around drug usage and kind of become like the scapegoat. But then I understood like to like begin, I guess to unpack like, I guess the layers to that. But um, because I wanted to say like, with like the addition of black excellence and assimilationism, I think it also creates like a false dichotomy too of like the good blacks you say like this kind of like pick up your boots or your boots by the straps whatever you say that saying because you can work so hard like i guess that's where the exceptionalism comes in and if you don't do these things then you're like lazy and you're not trying to make it in capitalism yeah you know um, those were my initial, like that when I was having all those thoughts uh, before um, the incident with the weed. But when that happened, that really super uh, exposed a lot for me in the sense that the way that people sort of turned on her too, because she no longer lived up to that sort of black excellence frame, or she became a, a spot or an embarrassment to them in the eyes of overall America. So I feel like just the attachment to to figures like that, the way that we use these figures, because um, it doesn't even necessarily have to be her. You can copy and paste anybody that they sort of, I'm even worried about the, the girl with the spelling bee in this instance, because the way that we platform Africans in the US here is not, it really sort of leans back into the American project, even if it's not meant to, um, you know, even if it's not it's something intentional, it is something that I always observe. Right. It's like, I, it's like, because, because we struggled, I think we struggled a little bit about this internally because it's like, we see, we see African people in the U S do well. We know that we are talented. We know that we are the shit. And it's like, it's like sometimes I see it and I almost wish that we would take it a degree further and be like, ah, look at how dynamic we are. Like, look at how, 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 how talented we are. Imagine if we could do this for ourselves. Imagine if we could do this in our own economy. Imagine if we could do this like as our own nation or as a part of a larger African nation. I always wish we had that analysis to like take it that step further as opposed to like, you know, Look at how good we are. This is why you should include us. Can can y'all hear me? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like this this um whole thing about um the young lady in the Olympics just reminds me of what you know Malcolm talks about when he said, you know, the there's like this dichotomy that 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 during slavery and there's there's new forms of it that you know this empire uses which is you know the the house the house nigger and then the 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 um um the one in the field right and and there there's this there's this image uh of how each of each of these um uh you know pictures are um, stereotypes, whatever you want to call them, that is like, you know, etching our brains, like when we go to school, when we, you know, read books, when we're listening to corporate media, et cetera, et cetera. So I just wanted to say that.
thank you. On that, while we're in this topic of culture, I'm, I said that I want to talk about culture a little bit because it was twofold. Um, the other part of it is based on something that I've been observing um, with youth lately. So I spend a fair amount of time on TikTok. I, 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 I it's a, you know, shamelessly, I, I enjoy being on there. And um, one of the things that I, I see all the time that kind of breaks my heart is that there's all these young African kids on there with all these like that are super funny. They have all these ideas for, you know, creating entertainment, making music, making beats, making dances. And they're constantly feeling like they are being um, shut out of the app or that their work is being spoken over them. You know, it's the age old thing of, you know, white people come in, take your thing, remix it. And then they're the ones that get the praise. And there are times where I wish I just had like a megaphone or like the reach to explain to all of them because uh, a way that they kind of code the language of what's happening to them on the app is, you know, white people, they're going to come and colonize this trend or they're going to come and colonize this dance or colonize this sound. You know, all those things credit kind of, I think, to the way the film Black Panther uses the term. But something I wish I could get them to understand is that you are colonized. So to a degree, you don't have ownership over your cultural products. If I come and like kidnap you and like put you in my basement and you and your friend in my basement and while y'all down there, y'all start coming up with all kind of cool dances and stuff like that. Like you might think <laughs> that the things you create belong to you but like really if I want to take it I'm just going to take it and like leave y'all down there in the basement and I think that because we lack that larger analysis and that larger understanding of who we are and where we are it surprises us when these things happen to us and we think about these things as individual acts like oh this individual you know young white person stole my dance let's protest making dances on TikTok when the issue is actually like 5,000 more miles in the sky. I want to remind folks too, if you're, if this is your first time that you can uh, raise your hand to speak, if you want to contribute to the discussion. Go ahead, Yeah, Black, you got the floor. You got you speak. I think, okay, well, Black, if you put your hand down and CJ, you can go for it. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, this is too black. I thought y'all could hear me. I was just saying what's good. I just signed in, so I don't I don't have nothing to say. I'm just listening. I just want to say what's up. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah. Um, CJ, you still want to say something? Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Great, thanks. Uh yeah, I really um relate to what's been said about like that you know, our things that we create are taken because we are colonized and and relating to the, the broader topic of culture. 
uh, I do think, I mean, yeah, as, as, as people have been said, like with this project of assimilation, like everything we do is used to further bolster, uh, you know, the liberal settler ideal of like, oh, well, look how great we are. We're so civilized. We, you know, we enjoy um, having different culture, um, having access to different culture. And I, you know, it's so, it's, you know, and they love to, you know, especially the liberals love to say how much they, they love this and they love that. And, but, you know, you really know at the, at deep down, it's only because they're dominant. And, you know, in this context, like we're always, you know, our culture and, and everything we do within this colonized uh, position that we're in is always uh, just used to further that. And, um, you know, I, I, I felt like, yeah, we're just always props, right? And currently it takes the form of, of um, especially, you know, sports, especially entertainment. And those are the only, you know, it's not, it, I don't think it's coincidence that those are like the only places that are open for, for African folks to like, have like, you know, a quote unquote middle class or, you know, to get out of, you know, the ghettos and whatever, because those are, and I mean, even going back toward, you know, to the 1800s and whenever, like, when, you know, people like what were maybe white liberals then would uh, enjoy having black entertainers, you know, but that's all we're allowed to be is like to entertain them to sm have a smile on and do a little dance and they love seeing that but I mean we all know at the end of the day it never translates to anything because they always, you know, no matter how liberal they think they are and, and unfortunately even a lot of self uh, declared leftists, you know, European, European, you know, white leftists uh, they really, you know, they don't want to give up their position of dominance, you know, when you really, when you've spent as much time as I have, you know, with, with a lot of these white liberals, like you really see that they're really not different at the core, you know, other than having that facade of like, you know, pretending to have, you know, liking having a token black person in their workplace, you know, not never considering, you know, taking down the system as a whole, just making it seem, uh, you know, on the surface, like it's nice and, and, uh, you know, especially relating to Olympics, like I remember uh, thinking, you know, maybe 12 years ago when I last watched the Olympics, like how, you know, yeah, they can have, the U.S. can have this appearance of like, oh, look how, you know, diverse we are. We have black people over here playing basketball. We have Asians over here playing ping pong. And, you know, it's, um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely took me, you know, uh, uh, you know, years to really come to that conclusion, because obviously I wasn't hearing it from the the, the dominant culture. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, we're always just props, no matter how liberal, you know, the, the, the white European settlers think they are. I mean, that's all they really will see us as uh, within this uh, system. I um, feel like, oh. oh, go ahead, go ahead, Miriam. I feel like there's this weird weird thing going on where people are like a lot of black people like cj was saying they're like props but they do like liberal props but they do this weird weird thing and i noticed this i'm also in college and i noticed this thing around a lot of black college students too they do this thing where they are fitting into corporate america fitting into like mainstream media fitting into all these like you know spaces but they're also trying to look fake progressive and they want to like declare their afrocentricity but it's just like a fake, like a fake, like it's not like Pan-Africanism. It's not like real black nationalism. It's none of that. It's this weird thing where at the same time, they're trying to pander, like, look how much of a good Negro 
I can be, look how much I can fit into your spaces and fit into whatever you have going on. But they try to make it look like it's Afrocentric and it's progressive and it's like, oh, we're tearing down these barriers. It's like, no, you're, you're still tokening. Like you could put a hundred black people in whatever system you have, but like the system was still made by white supremacists. Like don't, that don't change anything. It's just this weird, really weird space where like, and one thing that made me very suspicious of it was the 2016 election, not 2016 election, this past election, where all these black people who are in like corporate America or in college or in sororities and fraternities in divine nine, all those things, they're declaring that I'm proud to be black, I'm pro-black. But when it came time to vote, like they showed their asses and were talking about, oh, well, black people need to vote. Black people need to do this to get ahead. Vote like your life is depending on it. And then when Kamala Harris got in as vice president, they were like screaming at the top of their lungs how proud they are to be black. But like, that's not real pro-blackness. Like that's not progressive. It's not pan-African. It's, it's none of those things. They just do this thing where like, they use Afrocentricity as an aesthetic for like the liberal white elite um, to show how good they can be. And it's just like, they're just showing their asses constantly. It's just like, you're just pandering. You're not doing anything real, so. Yeah, it makes me think about, you know, my one of my favorite passages written by um, Jamil Alameen, where he says, uh, to be black is necessary, but not sufficient, right? And I think that is a part of the reason why we're having this conversation right now about the fact that African as an identity has to be political. This is not, it's not, it's not, a, it's not an aesthetic decision because I, I totally understand and um, have seen in play the thing that you're talking about. Um, on the topic of culture, a question that I have for you guys was related, trying to relate things back to the diaspora. How do you think the extraction of culture from Africans in America, hold on, I'm sorry, before I ask that question, I just want to also posit that like, we understand and agree that if the U.S. is the world empire, then it's like, it has the sort of hegemonic, um, hand over everything related to culture, right? Like whatever the United States defines as like, you know, pop-in or trendy, it becomes the dominant way of understanding what is cool. That's like, I guess, I guess that's like my basic breakdown of like what the word, hege how hegemony functions. So how do we think about the ways that like black culture is extracted from African people in the United States and um, ex uh introduced to other africans around the world well i talked about this often enough um like <clears throat> because i am um, of trinidadian descent um so i still have family that live on the island um but but they know so much about America. America, um, they get to watch MSNBC in Trinidad. Um, so they're all into American politics. But like my family here couldn't tell you anything about Trinidadian politics. They couldn't tell you about anything about what's going on in Trinidad outside of speaking directly to the family um, because there is no um, there is no two-way street in that in that way. Um, and I say that to say that even when people talk about like how we how we missed 
like how we make the mistake and charge other Africans with cultural appropriation, um, not understanding that much of our culture is, you know, stack cultures, um, they're intermixed cultures. Uh, we have, you know, there's a lot of cultural sharing that goes on between Africans across the diaspora. But when we talk about um, cultural appropriation of, of, you, of Africans in the U.S., what what's misunderstood is that we have access to everything that that's going on and if if america itself is exploiting africans in the u.s and they are perpetrating african culture um as american culture then that is what's going to be shown out and i think uh dr jared ball mentions this in uh, myth of black value power of the ways that they would use black americans to sort of symbolize like um, liberation and freedom, like, because uh, they would just place them behind the scenes and little scenes like that um, in certain movies. Um, so there is no real uh, transfer that happens between, I guess, um, I don't want to say governments, like we don't really get the full end. It really takes like a, a left or independent media for us to even really understand what's going on. But literally you can go, you can, there's a channel, there's an MSNBC channel in Trinidad. So I find that, that those sort of dynamics really pushes the way that we see one another or understand one another. And I really think that it mystifies Africans in the U.S. because I think that that's what causes a lot of the antagonisms and the misunderstandings because when some people do come over here thinking that, oh, I thought shit was sweet, what's your problem? Because that's what's shown. Um, and I don't think that people are like too cognitive of that, is that we only see certain aspects of Black American culture or, or culture from Africans in the U.S. Um, whereas you hardly see any of uh, cultures outside of the, uh, Africans outside of the U.S. or Africans across the diaspora, unless you um, go search or now, you know, the 10 years of the, of the internet has exposed more, but that has not been the consistent case. Can you, can you hear me? Sorry if I can't. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right, my fault. I'm sure I'm getting annoying asking you all that question. Um, but no, I, I agree with what everybody's saying. Um, I was thinking, I think a lot of our culture to the question of culture is just controlled opposition. Uh, I mean, to Erica's point, what what it, what gets seen is, and to, I, I can't remember who brought it up earlier, this this sense of like excellence and all that, that's, that's often what gets exported across the diaspora is this, the black excellence, the achievements, the the people who quote unquote broke barriers, put put barriers in air quotes. Uh, those are all the things that that I think get sent out. So, like I know we were doing a show last month, and we had somebody from South Africa on, and he was uh, he was bigging up the George Floyd protests, um, and he was really saying like how in inspirational it was to see that and all the rights we were able to gain. And I had to kind of like semi check him like that was, I was like, most of that was bullshit. A lot of that was controlled opposition. As as uh, I'm sure everybody on here knows, most of that was funneled into the election um, in 2020. And so, and, and it's still, you know, people are still getting energy off of that. And a lot of money was thrown into that too. So I think a lot of times our culture gets snapshotted, um, just certain parts of it. And if you're not in, 
if you're not really deep down in it and you don't know like the different places, like you, you really can get confused if you're from a different part of the world thinking that we're really out here making it, making all this progress. And, you know, we know that has, there's a long history of that. Like even when they used to send jazz artists talking about culture over to other countries, uh, you know, to, to play Louis Armstrong and such to play, to play their instruments in these other countries to show that, you know, so-called African-Americans were, or Negroes at the time were progressing and everything's going fine. So I think some of it is also still within that legacy of the Cold War and such where it's our, our culture is important to upholding the empire because if the people at the bottom can achieve, then it always upholds this idea of hope and, and the empire is constantly redeemed through our achievements in a way. Uh, and the resistance that a lot of us might feel gets gets suppressed or, or repressed and we're not and and I, and I think some of that is we have to go to war within our own communities within you know within the class dynamics that exist i don't even put all of that just on america at, in a generic sense but i think a lot of that is the the buffer class that's that that sees that in some cases sometimes they're completely ignorant to it but they're able to exploit exploit that that wedge that knowing it their achievements can bring them success while often while also upholding the empire at the same time. Right on. Thank you, Tubak. Um, does anybody have anything that they want to add to that or related to culture or identity? Um, I'm gonna start wrapping us soon, but I do want to squeeze out final thoughts from some from everybody before I ask y'all my last question. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, this conversation is interesting to me because I feel like very oftentimes in the United Snakes, people talk about our culture here is something that was like born here, um, that we were just like, you know, African people were kidnapped and brought here as blank slates, and then a unique culture developed on those blank slates that we call Black American culture, but, you know, the there's very little about what people refer to as Black American culture that does not have roots in Africa, whether it's the music, whether it's the food, whether it's the way we talk, whether it's our stories, there is a direct line between so-called Black American culture and African culture. And that's the reason why, for example, like Southern African culture in the United States is extremely similar to African culture in the Caribbean. The more you look into it, the more you're like, damn, we do doing the same shit. Like Mac is like Galakichi, my people are Garifuna from Honduras. We have like some of the same um, like ceremonies around Christmas time. We like both do John Canoe. So it's like we, I feel like we have to understand that there isn't, there's very little about us that is from this place. That even the things that like were shaped by this place still have their roots in Africa and understand that we are connected on that basis across the entire planet and stop thinking of ourselves as like distinct separated entities and start like seeking out those connections to understand why we are in fact one people like I just yeah I feel like the way that black American what people call black American culture um is like the reason why it's like able to be so commodified and co-opted is because we don't understand it's not actually American or I I totally Woo! agree I totally agree with that and um, like to your point, I think that's why it's important to have that like political objective at, of being African. And I'm seeing that even like even when I talk about Trinidad, I see that more as people highlight Tobago 
and the African, the truly deep African roots in Tobago and how they, that has sustained and how that just knowing that is moving, you know, the entire region sort of forward towards uh, re-Africanization. And I've seen more and more people just come to that. So like, that makes me excited. But I think that, that that's all based on that that base understanding that there's so little of us or so little of what we understand of ourselves that is not of Africa. Thanks y'all. Um, so here's my last question. And I just want you guys to be candid and like, just think about what I'm asking. So we titled this event, um unleash the african in you fighting to be free right with all the things that we talked about here tonight like i just want to know what does it mean like to you to unleash the african in you like what does that even look like in your everyday like day-to-day -day life well i could say that i take a lot of inspiration from Maroon Societies um, of the Americas. So for folks that don't know, Maroon Societies were free, uh, many African nations that occurred wherever our people were enslaved across the entire Western Hemisphere. So like I just mentioned, I'm Garifuna. Um, we are in Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua. The reason why we're there is because that's where the boat dropped us off. And then we formed independent settlements alongside indigenous people. But what a lot of folks don't know is that maroon colonies existed where every slavery existed in the Western Hemisphere, including the United States. And what our people did was instead of saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek a seat at this table in this society that was built on enslaving me, or saying, like, I'm going to figure out how to get more equality within the slave society, instead, no. We're going to separate ourselves from society and build many independent African nations wherever we exist and exist independently in an open opposition to slave and colonial society. And I feel like we don't know enough of those stories. Like there are huge maroon colonies throughout the Southeast United States. There are maroon colonies in the Southwest United States where I live. These people were able to sustain themselves, survive and engage in open combat with the slave system, oftentimes for hundreds of years, liberating like thousands of African people in some cases while maintaining their liberation. So I feel like that history is powerful to understand. It's powerful to understand that even though we're in the belly of the beast, we don't have to seek assimilation. That's not the only path before us. So I think of myself as a maroon to this day. Right on. I would say, um, for me, when I talk about, you know, understanding myself as African, being political, it's just understanding a lot of uh, what Cabral speaks of when he talks about that sort of re-Africanization and how that moves forward towards organizing the people towards liberation and for liberation and to ultimately free themselves. And I feel like that's how I unleash, <laughs> like through uh, organizing, through my Pan-African organizing, to, through showing up for um, every African struggle I can um, on, on the most principled level that I can, um, being in unity with other Africans. Um, that's how I feel like I attempt to unleash it. And then also like breaking apart the whole American project, every chance I get, like every chance I get, I shit on America. And I think that that, um, that ultimately um, helps not just myself, but the people around me sort of start to see themselves differently or come into the same kind of realization that, that I am coming into. Um, because like I said, it's fairly new for me to identify myself as an African even having never identified myself as an American. Um, 
even even having once identified myself as even partially like, oh, I'm, you know, first generation or second generation. And now I don't, I don't even say those words um, because I am African and I understand what that means. Um, and as far as my position within the empire and throughout the diaspora. Other folks, I know y'all feeling that. I know y'all feeling that African fire that's burning in here tonight. I really like what Onyen Sangwu said about like identifying as a maroon. So, like I said earlier, my family's from Jamaica, and supposedly, like I cannot confirm nor deny, but supposedly, my father always told me we came from maroons. So I always really liked like specifically to hear about maroon culture because it always sounded so liberating. And there's two um, maroon stories that I really like. One is Nanny in Jamaica. You know, she always would like fight off. I always heard like stories about her fighting off slave masters and like breaking chains and things like that. But the other story is um, Gaspar Yanga. Uh, he was supposedly a prince in Sierra Leone. And what happened was he got kidnapped, taken to, I think, Mexico. And um, he started liberating like the different colonies or enslaved peoples around Mexico and eventually uh, created his own his own colony. Um, maybe not colony. I don't like to use the word colony because that means colonized almost, but his own like area where he kept like every time like someone ran away, like he was able to take them in. And um, I think he had some kind of treaty with the Spanish, but they broke it, unfortunately, because, you know, they're colonizers. But I always find maroon culture very liberating and very interesting to hear about people who just like just physically like fought back. Like because we think about like fighting white supremacy now, we think about doing it. Some people think about doing it through voting, which I think is stupid. <laughs> but so other people think about organizing. Other people think about, you know, mutual aid and things like that. But I think like the idea of physically fighting back um, is always something that um I constantly think about and the way I was raised kind of, you know, um, like my parents always like, you know, you never know one of these days you might have to fight someone like physically. Obviously I always like to think of violence as a last resort, but when I think of unleashing African, I think of like breaking chains. And I think of like what Onion Sun will say about maroon culture, things that are like, you're not just declaring you're African, but you're just like willingly ready to fight back. Um, willingly ready to fight back against anything that might take your Africanness from you. Right on. Anybody else? Um, I guess one way that I'm trying to unleash my Africanness as well is that uh, I'm trying to make sure that I center the experiences the history, the political thought, struggles of African people in the U.S. and in the diaspora, and also just learning more about what's happening in, in Africa, like colonization working there, and how can I organize here to kind of undo that or up against it. I'm with Ricky. Any chance I get to discurse American colonialism and empire, I'm on it.
Well, I really want to thank y'all for for adding all, all that color and 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 I don't know, just energy to to this conversation tonight. I think for me, the the way that I think about trying to unleash, you know, the African in me that's trying to be free is I'm trying to push back in my everyday interactions with people on all of these like antisocial, just like cold ways of being that we are taught in America and really lean into the idea of like love for my people and what it means to like build community, what it means to like build a unit, what does it mean to support people and be there for people and extend yourself, your time, your energy to people. Um, all of those things I, I think about as very African ways of being. And I think that, you know, we come from such a rich history of people who are willing to give everything they had to take care of, you know, the people around them. And so that's something that I am trying to be, you know, better, more, more, better about more every day. Um, we are a little past the hour mark now, so I'm not going to keep us here. I'm just going to wrap up by saying that we'll be back with another one of these um, in two weeks. And just a reminder that it is Hood Communist Thursday, so there are new articles on the blog. I think we got like two pieces up today um, referencing Cuba, uh, referencing Cuba. Please go and, and read those. Um, and as always, y'all, uh, take the anti-imperialist position. This week is not even over, but it's been a hard week. <laughs> it's been a hard week to be anti-imperialist in the United States, but it is our, it is the only job that we have living in America, the bare minimum we can do. So let's continue to do it. Um, so yeah, thank y'all again for coming, pulling up, being open, talking, chatting, you know, shooting the shit. And we look forward to seeing y'all again in two weeks. For whatever. Peace, y'all. That's a wrap for this week. But be sure to go check out the blog, hoodcommunist.org. We always got new articles on there every Thursday. Good shit, revolutionary shit. Go read that. Take that in. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at hoodcommunist. We got kicked off Twitter for telling the truth. But we still kicking, talking our shit on Instagram. So go follow us and stay up to date with what we got going on. And lastly, if you enjoy what you heard today, if you enjoy what you see on the blog, be sure to share this with your people. Be sure to share it with somebody who you think might appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? Everything we do, we do it because we believe in the potential to transform society and we believe in revolution. So like I said, share that. And lastly, we always encourage our people to join organizations that are fighting for justice, that are fighting for liberation. If we could solve the problems in our society as individuals, we would have did that a long time ago. So yeah, take care of yourselves, man, and we'll see y'all next time. Peace.